0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So I want to talk about a subject today that, you know, it may be kind of tricky for some people and maybe it's something that, you know, we don't completely understand. But the title is this, Making God a Priority. Say that with me, making God a priority. How how many have ever heard this said before or thought this idea? I'm sure if you've been in church for any amount of time, uh, we've heard this. You know, as a kid uh, growing up, I was really infatuated with this idea of magic. I think when I was growing up, the big magician at the time was David Copperfield. Anyone know him? I know some certain organizations would say he was satanic no, he was really good at illusion that's just how it worked he, he mastered his craft but as a kid I loved magic I just loved this idea of this realm where things could happen I, I used to dream often of flying I, I would wake up from these dreams and go oh man it was so awesome I was flying just like Superman there was something about uh, magic another thing that I, I really thought was cool was did anyone ever think this or is it just me that it would be so cool to find one of those genie lamps somewhere? I mean, you know, there's so many different stories and and there's, you know, there's live action, there's animation of this whole idea. But usually what it is is someone will find this genie lamp and what do they do? They rub it. Yeah. They rub the genie lamp and the genie comes out and usually they get what? Three wishes. Only Bruce and I know this story? I mean, come on. Come on. I would dream but man, if I could just find it. Now, I was a kid, okay? This didn't happen two weeks ago. I was a kid. I was thinking, if I found a lamp and I rubbed it and a genie came out, first of all, after I changed my pants, what would I wish for? What would I wish for? Because here's the thing. You get three wishes. That's it. Now, come on. We've all heard the story. We, we've seen the story play out. And And... You try to come up, what, can I, what three things can I do? I only get three choices. What three things can I do that will enhance my life? Because it's all about us. And how many realize that in every single one of those stories, they get it wrong? Somehow they, they wish wrong. From the cartoon to, I mean, at one point, I think they even had some, in the 80s, some horror film that had come out about this genie who gave you exactly what you asked for, but you better be specific or else, Right? I'm not saying you should go see that movie. I'm just saying that most of the time we got the answer, the wish, wrong because we thought outside of our true selves, right? And so when I was a kid, this element of magic was just, I don't know, it was just really cool to me. And I even think I bought some magic kits and tried to do some stuff, you know, with the foam balls that disappeared, but they really didn't kind of thing, and thought, hey, look what I did, this is really cool. My my grandsons will even do this sometimes, like, Okay, turn away, turn away. It's gone. You know, you just play along and stuff because there's something about this idea of magic. I say this this morning because I believe, just bear with me, I believe that sometimes we relate to God as if magic were involved. As adults, sometimes we we have this relationship with God, but we relate to God as if magic were involved. Or like maybe God is a genie in a bottle right? We wouldn't really call that. We wouldn't say out loud that God is a magician, of course, but I think that's sometimes how we think it works. If I have the right formula, if I have the right words, abracadabra, shazam, if I have those right words, I'll get the right result. If I I rub the magic God lamp just right, I'll get the anticipated outcome. Now, I'm saying this from my own experience. I'm not You know, I wasn't listening in on your prayer life, or I don't see every one of your lives on video. Wouldn't that be crazy? I often thought about that. If there was a video right now in my life every day, how would I act, (laughs) right? But sometimes we relate to God in this way, and I think the reason we do, I think the goal to this is really multifaceted, but there's a couple main reasons. For some, it's control. You know, For me, I would say that's probably my main reason. There's something about controlling a situation, controlling the circumstances. I don't know how many times. I mean, my wife and I have been together for over two decades, and I still sometimes have to remind myself when she's sharing what she's feeling, she's not asking me to come up with the answer because she knows I always have the right answer. Sometimes I just need to listen, right? But but see, that's a tendency of mine because I want to control it. Oh, you're feeling bad? Well, let's make sure you can feel good. And so I'm trying to control the situation. And I think sometimes we do that with God. I want to be in control. Another reason is for others, maybe we want a sense of certainty. Some, some walks of faith, some people in certain denominations, they're looking for certainty. And let me just tell you this right now. If you're walking by faith, that means there isn't certainty in every circumstance because you walk by faith, not by sight. Does that make sense? And so I think often that's the goal with good intentions. So you know, what's it look like? Well, if I pray the right prayer, we can somehow get God to come off the throne to really start to move and to do something. I've actually heard people preach and teach that when you pray, you're moving the hand of God as if God hasn't already moved his hand. I mean, God has done all things. He's given you all things for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. It's done. It's like, he's like, okay, it's done. It's there. It's prepared. What do you do? Receive it. First of all, you have to know it's there. But then what do you do? You receive it. And so often we believe, if I pray the right prayer, I got to do it just right, then somehow I can get God to move. Why? To get whatever it is that we think or need or we want to come to pass in our life. For some of us, the formula maybe works, right? This This was probably me for quite a long time. If I do enough of the right activities, you know, prayer, giving, going to church, reading the Bible, all great things to do. But at one point in my life, I thought, these are the activities. These are the right things. This is the formula. Say formula. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about these things that are necessarily bad. We're talking about when we make them into formulas. If I do these things, then God will move on my behalf. How about this one? It could be faith. If I have enough faith, if I exercise it properly, right, God will then come through for me. You know, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about this idea from... Luke chapter 17, where the disciples asked the same question. They said, Rabbi, teacher, Lord, increase our faith. I need more faith. And I love the answer of Jesus because he said, no, you don't. It's not about getting more faith. It's putting the faith you already have to work. And what is faith? It's trust, right? You need to stop wavering and make up your mind that, that God, your heavenly father is who he says he is. And he has done what he says he has done. But so often, we look at this experience, this relationship with God, as if magic's involved. And if I have just the right formula, if I have just the right words, if I have just the right way, if I confess enough scriptures enough times, it's all going to happen. And we're dealing from formula rather than relationship. Is this making sense so far? In essence, we believe if we perform the formula, then God will come through. If you ever saw someone going through something in life and they get an answer to prayer and you think, man, they must be really spiritual. They they must have did it just the right way. As if we have to do a certain song and dance for God to move on our behalf. Listen, God is so much better than any earthly father. When my son asks me for things, my heart is usually to say yes, just about anything. But God did one better. He already provided everything. It's already a yes. What? Yeah, he already knew what you would need for all of life, and it's already provided. He just says, there it is. My faith, receive it. Isn't that awesome? So, Pastor, why are you saying all this? Because when we do all the stuff, the right stuff, that we think we need to do or that we should do, and then it doesn't work the way we think it should work, we then become frustrated Right? We become disillusioned. We're wondering why God didn't come through. I, I personally had experiences like this where I'm just thinking, well, God, you, you didn't meet my expectation. You, you disappointed me. You let me down. Listen, I grew up in a pastor's home, which made me a PK. Any PKs here? And because I grew up in the church, I heard and I had seen so many different scenarios where, where people went through these same things. Stories of people who experienced this in their life. Heartache, uh, depression, uh, wondering if God was truly there. Right? They, they had these feelings of confusion that were mixed with emotions of loss and disappointment because things didn't go through. You ever heard things like this or said things like this? How could this have happened? I have given and I've tithed tithed faithfully for years. How could this happen to me? We prayed so long and it seems like the prayer wasn't answered. I mean, I confessed all the right scriptures. I had a list on my fridge and on my mirror and every single time I saw it, I confessed, confessed, confessed. Magic. Now, I'm not saying that Confession, true confession, is saying the same thing as another. You're saying the same thing that God says about you. Not against that. I'm certainly not against prayer. Come on, we need to talk to God. But when we have this idea and this element where we think it's somehow magic's involved because God will only move if I do it a certain way, that's where we begin to get in trouble. And when it doesn't work, when it doesn't go the way that we feel it should go, this is... This is the main thing I want to get to in this portion today, is that we believe there's something wrong with us. Listen, I've heard it, and I probably even said it myself. Well, God's not the problem, so who is it? I, I'm, I'm just, maybe you didn't. I've thought this. Well, God's, God didn't mess up. God doesn't, you know, get it wrong, so it must be me and so when it doesn't work out, we take that upon ourselves. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our formula. I need to find a different formula. I need to find a different magic potion and a different incantation because obviously these aren't working. Come on. Stick with me. We're going to go somewhere with this today. You know, I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't pray long enough. I mean, we used to get up. Bruce, do you remember this? I know Pete does. And these are great things to have. We used to have men's morning prayer at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. It was so early, I don't remember the time. Now I'm an early riser. But back then you're like, I've had discussions with people. We just laugh about it because we would show up because we wanted to be faithful and we didn't want to be seen as the unfaithful one. So we would show up at 5 a.m., 5.30, 6 a.m. to pray with the guys for an hour. And half of us were trying to fight sleep the whole time. And then you were told, well, that's the devil. He wants to make you go to sleep so you won't pray. It's like we bring the devil into everything. It's like, well, no, maybe I'm just tired. I stayed up too late. Maybe I worked all week. And so, again, that was the formula. If I get there at 5 a.m. and I pray with the guys, then stuff's going to happen. Is there anything wrong with getting there at 5 a.m. praying with the guys? Absolutely not. But when it becomes a formula and you think it's magic, that's where there's an issue. I haven't gotten my message yet, so just receive this. So we didn't pray hard enough. We didn't pray long enough. We didn't have enough faith. Or how about this one? There must be some sin in your life, brother, that has disconnected you from God. I've said this to people. I've thought this about myself. God promised to never leave me and never forsake me. In Timothy, we're told even when we're faithless, he is faithful. Where do we get these ideas? When we boil all of this down, it really comes to one main idea, I believe, that we feel we're lacking an idea that maybe we haven't done this correctly, and this is what it is. It's making God first place. It's putting God number one on the list. But again, I'm going to say it again, that's a formula. There's nothing wrong with a heart to put God first, but if it's a formula, you're missing the whole point. And so I want to dig into this today because, listen, I've preached messages where I've said God wants to be a priority in your life. Or even more specific, God needs to be the priority in your life. You need to put him first place in your life. And guess what? Every time I, I preach our focus on someone like this, my intentions were right. They really were. It's like we need to get our focus on the center of of who we are in Christ. And I believe that's something we should do. But again, is it a formula or is it a way of life? And listen, I knew what I was saying when I spoke those words. And I understand what people are, are trying to get across, the idea they're trying to get across when they say these same things. But what if it was deeper than that? See, I believe that there's something always deeper. Even in Scripture, when you study Scripture... I'm not just reading the English version of the Bible. I'm saying study Scripture. When you study it, there's so much depth. There's so many layers, especially because of the languages that Scripture was written in. But what if there's more to this idea? What if this idea of putting God as first place or making God a priority, maybe what if it's three-dimensional rather than one-dimensional? You see, even though we live in a three-dimensional world, Many times our thought processes and our patterns are one-dimensional. We have one-dimensional thinking. I believe Holy Spirit's trying to draw us into a three-dimensional thinking. There's so much more going on than just what we see. That's why we're told to walk by faith, not by sight. So when you look at the Greek and Aramaic vocabulary of the New Testament, for instance, it's really tiny compared to English. The, The full vocabulary compared to the English words that we can use. And if you look at the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, it's smaller still. So we have these ancient languages that the scriptures were written in, and, and the vocabularies themselves of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic are so much smaller than English. And so what translators had to do is they had to use many words that the original languages do not. That's why I say it over and over and over, and I learned this from my good buddy Jake, that reading the English Bible is not studying the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. I am so thankful that we have English versions because I really don't read any other. I really don't. Now, we have tools and things we can dig into to see meanings of words, and isn't that beautiful? Uh, One of the best at that is Pastor Tom. I mean, he's amazing at this. His, His messages are so cool. And by the way, he'll be here next week speaking. Woo! it's gonna be good now he's got it because I said it publicly but it's gonna be good but but you can dig in I'd like to say it like this that everyday words from our modern culture have become the language of our spirituality even though they are not in scripture did you catch that Everyday words from our modern culture, words that we understand, words that we knew, words that they didn't know 2,000 and 6,000 and 8,000 years ago, they, the words, the current words, right, have become the language of our spirituality. Even though many times those words aren't even contained in Scripture. Right? I'm having a wild moment too. When I was going on, I'm like, what? <laughs> when I want to understand... How a word is being used in the Bible, whether it's within, say, the context of the scripture itself, or as I'm looking at that scripture, maybe I'm looking at the historical and the cultural lens. I mean, what did they believe at that time? Uh, What were the, the laws of the time? How did culture operate and work at the time? You know, I usually go to a concordance. Uh, you can go to like an ancient language lexicon. I have a Greek lexicon I use quite often. Uh, you can go to a biblical or theological dictionary. There's so many different tools that we can use to dig in to go, what were they really saying? Because I'm telling you, you ever notice that just one word taken out of context changes everything? There's times where I've been reading the scripture and I'm like, wait a minute, Holy Spirit's like, go look that up. And I'll look up the word and go, whoa, that word doesn't even mean what the English word is trying to tell me right now. And it changes everything. And then I'm like, wow, thanks, God. Now I've got to change my theology. Now I've got to change the way I think. He's like, yeah, remember that little thing I inspired Paul to write, that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind? Yeah, changing your mind's a good thing, Andrew. All right, Dad. So, I dig into these things. I use these tools, but there's something here that's interesting to note. Did you know that if you look in a theological dictionary for the Old and the New Testament, there's a word that's completely absent? Does anyone know what that word is? I mean, there's several, but this word specifically priority. Priority is not present in the ancient languages, that means it's not in the Bible. Don't leave yet. Just just hang out. I'm not a total heretic yet. Just just hang with me. We're going to go somewhere this morning. But the word priority, th- this English word doesn't have a Greek or a Hebrew counterpart. It's not in the Bible. If we're going to be super technical, it's not in the Bible. But think about this. This word, which, by the way, is super powerful in business. It's a super powerful word uh, when it comes to having a successful life. This same word has been so embraced by religious vocabulary that we could argue about who had them first. Was it the business community or was it the church? Priority, priority, priority. I mean, think about it. When have you heard a preacher who doesn't use the word priority? Not often. Me included, right? It's all about priorities. Put God first. We have these different levels of how it should be. And these words have become part of the way that we see And think about a relationship to life, but not just a life, a relationship to God. Now, again, hang with me. We're going to go somewhere. I'm not saying that that priority is a bad thing. Having a priority is great, but I want us to, to start thinking a little deeper on what this really means, right? Because it's not in the language of scripture. Now, you're probably familiar with the life of Jesus. We've talked about so many conversations he's had with different people through his life. The things that you know, we have in the gospel, the stories that we read. And Jesus would occasionally find himself in really tricky conversations. Conversations where someone was trying to get him. The teachers, you know, the religious leaders, the lawyers of his day would often ask him questions that had hidden agendas. There was a hidden motive. They were trying to catch Jesus on something. Maybe they could catch him off guard. And, you know, the law was pretty strict, so maybe they could get him in such a way that they could even stone him to death. Maybe they could get him on something. They were always looking, not, let me say this, the system was looking for a way to get Jesus well, I think the reason is because quite often their goal was to protect the existing religious system. We need to protect the system at all costs. I would even go further to say we need to protect and, and keep our own job security. Because if what Jesus is saying is true, what about my job? What about I? what I do? Make sense? There's one specific occasion I want to take a look at over the next several minutes today. Jesus was posed this question. Which of the commandments is the most important? In fact, in Matthew 22, verse 36, here's what they said. They said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what is the most important? This actually, to me, sounds like a question about priorities. How would you prioritize the law, great teacher? There had to be some sarcasm behind this. They're trying to catch him, right? In other words, give me a list, Jesus. I want you to rank my choices in life in order of the most important to the least important. And if we're really honest, us church folk, we love our lists, don't we? I'll be the first to say, I certainly did. See, when you have a list, you don't have to walk by faith. There's a list. You tell me what to do. Often we do this with good intention, but someone, you know, they raise their hand, they accept Jesus, they come to the altar, and with good intentions, the next thing we do is we're like, here's the pamphlet. Well, what is it? Basically, here's the list of what you need to do next. We hand out a list immediately. They don't even know who they are yet, but here's the list right? And so we love our lists. Well, I know for me, I love a list because it gave me a basis for my self-righteousness. If I look at the list and I've been checking stuff off, well, listen, now I've got a system in which to judge myself and I can validate my effort. I can validate my performance. I must be doing well. Why? Well, because the list, it's on the list. Jesus, give me a list. And then, not only that, the list also, it doesn't just help validate my effort and performance. It can validate me, especially in comparison to someone else. Oh, see, I'm doing the list. I don't think they are. You don't know their heart. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the conversations they've had with God. I'm Man, give me a few weeks off and I get a little punchy. Just bear with me. I love you. But see, there's a huge problem with this type of thinking. Because life doesn't work according to lists. It just doesn't. And relationships mess with any system of priorities. right? I I often say this, that man, relationships would be so easy if people weren't involved. Come on, isn't that true? Or at the very least, if they would do what I want them to do what I think they should do in life. So here's the question I really want to dig into. And I want to look at the words of Jesus, not just the words of of Andrew this morning. What does it mean to put God first? Think about that for a moment. Just close your eyes and think about some ideas that come to mind. What does it mean to put God first? I mean, is it a percentage thing regarding maybe our time, our money, You know, our focus. I mean, think about this. Most of us are here today at church. We believe that's putting God as a priority. Uh, Some go to church on Saturday. Some do Sunday and Wednesday or Thursday midweek services. But think about that. If we are only giving God part of our Saturday or Sunday, how is that making God a priority? Shouldn't it be the whole day? I'm just putting this out there. I mean, think about this. Who decides? How much should be given in order for God to be a priority? How much is enough? I mean, are there certain spiritual practices that are most important? I mean, does prayer or church attendance, does that qualify in making God first? And if that's true, who decides? I mean, sometimes it's the preacher, right? The preacher is telling you what you should do. And he's giving you that list and saying, if you do these things, then you're putting God first. But is that true? How, how do we know that preacher's Right. Again, preachers with great intentions. Think about this scenario. What happens if you have a sick child and you can't attend that Sunday morning service? Think about this. Let's go deeper with this. I have friends who, they have children who were born with certain issues and they need 24-7 care. In fact, they have to hire nurses and helpers to come in because they got to sleep at some point. What if they can't make service? What if they aren't knocking on doors and soul winning? What if they're not getting their prayer and their Bible time in? Are they not making God a priority in their life? I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there because it's so easy in our lives. I've heard people say, well, I get up every day at 5 a.m. and I pray for two hours. And I'm thinking, you're retired and you have no kids at home. That's great for them, but why would I feel ashamed that I'm not? What about work? Should you take the overtime or should you say no? I mean, part of what I've heard as far as priority list... Is family's priority? Well, maybe that overtime is going to help you get out of some debt or set you up for a better future for your family, but then you're missing church, so should you refuse it? Because if you refuse it, then that's making God a priority. Just throwing these things out here to think about. what, What does it mean to put God first, to make him a priority? You know, we all sleep a good percentage of our life, you lazy bums. What's this sleep stuff all about? Or I should say this, some of you attempt to sleep at night, Let me hear the woman going through menopause. Let me hear. Come on. You know, scientists say that we spend about one-third of our life either sleeping or attempting to do so on average. So let me ask you, is sleep exempt from the calculations? Does God say, no, you got to sleep. So listen, put me first at least 12 to 16 hours of the day. Do you see how we can start nitpicking and... I know you're like, Pastor, this is weird. I know it gets really weird when people start telling you how to put God first, doesn't it? How do I juggle the list? God first, family second, work or church third. Come on, we've all heard these messages. I've preached these messages. I'm not looking down my nose at anyone. But how do we make God a priority? I do understand that in accomplishing a task, it's helpful to have a sequence of activities you know, you do this first, you do this second, you do this third, and so on and so forth. Listen, I'm all about lists, Ask my wife. We were newly married. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and she says, oh, man, the kids have school tomorrow. We're going to have to go to the store. We need some stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. She goes to get her shoes on. I go over and turn on my old ancient computer that takes 10 minutes to boot up and she goes, what are you doing on the computer? I'm like, I'm going to type up a list and print it out. She goes, oh my gosh, get your shoes on right now. <laughs> so I say that to say, I'm in the list. Like I love to have a list I can check up. Man, okay, come on, doesn't it feel good? You're like, yeah. Other people are like, get the list away from me. I don't want a list. You're making this too hard. No, it makes it easier. No, it makes it hard. See different personalities. And so lists are good in order to accomplish a task, but our intentions can be completely interrupted by something as simple as a phone call. You know, phone calls have interrupted my list. I'm not, I wasn't mad about it, but I'm just saying, my wife has interrupted my list. But she's smarter than me, Bruce, so it's okay. Okay. No, I don't, I don't know how many times, you know, she's like, okay, so what we need to do today is, and I'm thinking, I already have my day planned out. I already have a list. What are you doing right now? And she's like, why do you have an attitude? I'm like, I don't. It takes a minute to go over this. You just screwed my list up. I got to rethink the list. But a phone call, a friend, something at work, it can totally interrupt our list and suddenly our agendas become Irrelevant. And I believe that much of the frustration in our lives happens because our plans and our expectations are interrupted. It doesn't go according to list. So listen, I say all that. You're like, that's a lot of preaching off one scripture. Well, that's cool. We got four to go. You with me? No, we're going to cruise through this. But Jesus was asked a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Basically, they wanted They wanted a priority list. They wanted to list it out. What does Jesus answer? Verse 37, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What's verse 38 say? Look at this. This is great and foremost. This is the great and foremost commandment. What is? To love God. Let's keep it simple. Love God with everything you have. That's it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You gave me a list. You gave me a priority. Priority, Greatest and foremost. Remember those words. Greatest and foremost. God first, right? God has a priority. Well, maybe not, because Jesus then says, verse 39, the second is like it. Like what? Like the first. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. I'm looking for a list here. You're giving me a second one. You're saying it's like the first. So what does that mean? How? Oh, the second is greatest and foremost as well. Okay. You're messing with me now, Jesus. I was looking for a list and you said, love God with everything you are, with everything you have. I'm like, yes. And I already put it on the list. And now you're saying, am I supposed to wedge it in the number one with this one? It's the same as, what is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, say two, hang the whole law and the prophets. That word hang in the original language, literally completely depend. Everything is dependent on these two commandments. But Jesus didn't give them a list. This is so cool to me. Instead of a list of priorities, Jesus introduced us to something completely different. Listen to me a moving, dynamic, living relationship in which God is the central connection in our lives. Say central. Jesus invites us to a relationship in which God is not first, but central. So it doesn't mean that God isn't a priority, but it's not like we think. It's not a list that we can check off. See, sometimes when I was trying to figure the spiritual walk out, and I wasn't, it's before I guess I was really in tune with closer to in tune. I still got some work, but to who and whose I really am, uh, prayer was something I did a certain amount. I tried to get 10 or 15 or 20 minutes in in the morning, and if I missed it, I felt like, oh, man, I messed up again, and I really tried. I did good for a week, and do you see how this? The other thing is this. if, If God is just a priority or something on a list, so once we check it off, are we done for the day? I often use this example that if Kristen was just a list of me, how would she feel if I came up and said, Hey, babe, um, uh, let's once you get up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some coffee. We can sit down and have coffee for like 20 minutes. got hey, 20 minutes. She'd be like, that's so sweet. I'm like, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm checking you off my list. How many know she probably wouldn't have coffee with I probably have coffee all over me. No, she's not violent like that. (laughs) In other ways, no, 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 no. Wow, let's just be open and honest. No. But God, when you think of it like that, you're like, wait a minute, that just seems so, so petty. I put God like in this box. God doesn't want to be first place. God wants to be central. What a different model to how we think about our relationship with God. I love this quote. It's absolutely beautiful by William Paul Young. He wrote The Shack. If you haven't read or watched that movie, it's just so beautiful. But but look what he says. He says, this relationship with God is not a list or a flow chart, but rather, get this, a mobile where everything is moving and changing as our choices and participation are woven inside the activity of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture. How many have ever had a mobile in, or at least seen a mobile in a baby crib? You know, and usually you you wind it up and it begins to turn, but there's something that's always in the center and central. It never varies and never moves. You could change the different things on the outside, they're constantly moving and changing, but what is the one central thing in the middle? Well, in this scenario, it's God. Do you see where we're going with this? It's, it's not that we're saying God's not a priority, but sometimes when we start to, we, we become a formulas, becomes this, okay, if I do this and I do that, and I do it right, then God will love me more. I'll, I'll receive more grace. He'll provide for me more. No, no, no. God is saying, I want to be central in your life. Forget the list. Forget the first place idea that you're thinking. I want to be central in your life. See, lists are about control and performance. And I found in my life that God is about adventure and trust. I'm not looking for your control and your list and your performance. I want to be in an adventure together with you. I want you to trust me. Take me at face value. Dig in and understand more and more about who I am how how I operate, how I move, my love for you, my grace for you, the peace that surpasses all understanding that I provided for you. All things for life and godliness they are already yours. I'm a good, good father. I give you everything freely because I love you. You're my dearly loved child. This is the heart of Heavenly Father. And think about this. If God is at the center of our lives, then so is love and relationship because God is both. See, God doesn't want to be first on your list. God wants to be central to everything. I want to be included. I want to be involved in everything that you do. This isn't about us. You know, we usually have this tendency to, to pull out our mental archive of priorities. Okay, what do I need to do today? Uh, and sometimes we separate it. I got my work list. I got my honeydew list. I've got my spiritual list. And we have all these different lists mentally that we try to run through. We think it's all about pulling it out and checking to see if, you know, what you've done is right. If what I've done is enough for today. See, this is about living in a relationship where plans might go completely wrong. Come on, anyone been there? Schedules can be altered in an instant. Things change all the time, but God is always central, right? We slip in from one season to another as quickly as the tide turns. We have different uh, ways of life. It's an ebb and flow. Sometimes things unexpected come up. But I think we have to get to a place where we move away from the legalism of priorities. And let's be honest, it's inevitable guilt and shame if you don't measure up, if you don't check off everything on the list, especially in our relationship with God. And what this has done for me, and listen, I haven't arrived. I would say... 10, 12 years ago, when I I really began to see God's grace and love towards me, that was just a beginning point. But even now, some decade or more later, I'm still working through the process. But what it's beginning to do is it's, it's opened up this huge space in my life. It's changed something fundamental in how I live in how I see myself and how I see God and how I see others. You know, the reason that I pay attention to Kristen or my kids, my grandkids, or even you for that matter, right? The reason I do that is not because you're on a list as a duty to perform. It's because I love them. It's because I have relationship with them. They're important to me. They're significant to me. That's why I have relationship. That's why I make time and space for those relationships, because there's a love between us. Does that make sense? And so for all of us, we have this ever-changing land, landscape of, of work. Some people don't work the same place for 35 years and retire. Some people, things change. You know, the economy moves and, and, and different fields, like, go and, and come. And it's just all these different things. So, you know, that landscape of work, the landscape of family. We were just talking about this. It's just so crazy. Like, we only have one child left in, in school. And part of me is like, yes. Oh, no more having to do this. You get your homework done. But at the same time, it's kind of sad. So I'm like, when this is over, it's over. You know, we have children who are grown, have families, kids of their own. And so the relationship changes, right? These dynamics are always changing in life. Sometimes we get so married to that idea. That's why people go through empty nest syndrome, and, and just you know trying to understand all these different changes. And, and when you know, I get it. If you lose your job and have to find a different place of employment, or even a different whole you know field or career, that's not easy. I understand that. But my point is, through all these things, through the ever changing landscape of work and family and recreation and personal health and and friendships, we have these constant shifts and changes. Are we keeping God central? to everything we do as it changes. And instead of worrying about you know, priority or even balance, think about this, you get to live a life in which God is central to all of it. God isn't on a list. God is central to everything. A life in which Holy Spirit moves the pieces of the mobile, sometimes in unexpected ways many times with unanticipated directions. Has anyone ever had that happen? You're like, I didn't think I would be going this direction in my life right now. But when you know it's Holy Spirit, when you hear the voice of Holy Spirit, we know by faith we step into things. Sometimes it can feel a little scary, but we know there's no fear in love. God loves us. And so we get to step into those moments. But I love that Holy Spirit invites us to participate in the moment, in the day, day by day. So if there's anyone here this morning who's maybe struggled with it, like, man, I'm really trying to make God a priority in my life. Maybe this will help you go, well, wait a minute, it's not about a list because, you know, you might have every intention to get up at 6 a.m. and put in an hour of prayer and Bible reading, but then something comes up you got to run somewhere early. you got to do something. Guess what? Don't get in guilt and shame over that. Know that God is there because God is central, not a list. Does that make sense? Will you stand with me this morning? Say this with me. God is not first. God is central. God is everything to me. And God is involved in every facet of my life. Take a deep breath. Let it out. And just go, (laughs) whoo. Sometimes we put so much undue pressure on ourselves and we're trying to do the right thing. We have great intentions. We want to make sure that God is first place and that God is priority because, listen, that, that's what I've heard. I've heard it preached. I've heard it taught. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, just know this, that God's central. And just a reminder, the word priority is not even in the Bible according to ancient language. I think that's kind of cool. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have a heart to make sure that God's first place, but it's realizing that God is there the whole time, central to everything, even on your worst day. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Say, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, your unconditional love. We thank you for forgiveness. I can wake up every morning. Your mercies are fresh. Your mercies are new. Jesus took away the sin of the world. Wow. There's nothing that inhibits me from spending time with you, from seeing you as central, other than myself and my thinking. Holy Spirit, I pray that in those moments where we feel alone, uh, even Jesus had those, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moments? The truth was God was there the whole time. But we have feelings and we have emotions. I pray in those times that we would be aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, we would hear your voice and we would know that you're there. You haven't gone anywhere. And it's in those moments that you begin to point out maybe blind spots, things that we don't see in our heart, in our soul. And you begin to bring restoration and healing, healing virtue to those areas of our lives. You're such a good God. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I trust you. My spiritual ears are open to hear what you have to say. And I receive your correction, encouragement, and healing. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always.